can we get customers to proactively want to sign up for things ahead of time to hand raise and say, I want to be a part of this because you create an orchestrated community around your advocacy. Now what you have is a proactive approach where when you need these things, you've got 50 hands already raised. You're not going hunting and gathering for them. Alrighty, folks, welcome to the State of Customer Storytelling podcast with your host, myself, Sam Shepler. The State of Customer Storytelling is the show that is all about helping you as a B2B marketing leader get the download on the most current practices and strategies related to all things customer marketing and advocacy. The State of Customer Storytelling is brought to you by Testimonial Hero. Testimonial Hero helps over 300 B2B software companies easily create stunning video testimonials that close deals faster. If you're looking for a better and easier way to create professional video testimonials at scale, both in-person as well as remotely, check out Testimonial Hero. You can view examples and find out more at testimonialhero.com. Today on the show, we have a fantastic guest, Ari Hoffman, Global Director of Customer Advocacy at Crowdvocate. Ari, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Sam. It's a pleasure. Super excited for this chat today. And just to kick things off, tell us a little bit about your background, Ari. How did you get involved in the customer advocacy space? And what is your experience? And I guess, how long have you been in the space? Yeah, I mean, don't let the title fool you, Global Director of Customer Advocacy. I'm just a kid who loves to play with other kids, right? And we're all in this, you know, what Nick Meta says in the customer success place, which is live with childlike joy. That's all I'm trying to do, and I'm trying to get paid to do it. So my job is to make friends for a living. How can I make as many friends and show off their value and support my friends in a way that makes them more visible and, and visually appealing on the market, right? in a way that addresses the value add that they provide to our industry. And, you know, I've been doing it for the last seven, eight years. It was completely organic. So anyone who's listening to this, I did not come from a tech background. I didn't get my master's in communication or marketing. I was a philosophy major, and then I worked in architecture for 10 years. So this is a completely organic, crooked, diagonally fed, laterally opposed journey that I've been on. And really, it's just following the open doors. And what do you love to do, right? And for me, it was like customer success was this really amazing thing that was that was blossoming in the market. I loved it, but I also realized that customer success, you have to be so incredibly resilient, right? You've got to deal with all the customers, the happy, the sad, the neutral, and all the company priorities. And I was like, yeah, it's a lot for me. I'm not that resilient. I like to focus more on the cheerful, happy people. So how do I turn that into a job? And that turned into my customer marketing career and advocacy and really trying to string it all together. And it started with simply influencer marketing, going to conferences and interviewing big names and acting like I was a part of the conference, but I really had my own iPad and was just part of the conference myself and was running around and interviewing people when they got off stage. And then that turned into interviewing my customers and, and then taking my customers to those conferences and then I realized there was so much effort between all of these random acts that we call advocacy, like asking for reviews and asking for this and asking for that and not tying it all together. What is the holistic approach to how we're addressing our customers and what's in it for them to get them to want to come back and do two, three, four, five things for us 
rather than one-offs, dropping the bucket into the well, asking for it and coming back. So because of that, of my own sanity and trying to save that, I created an advocacy model and that advocacy model took off. And that's what pushed me into the career of customer marketing. It was not a choice. It was kind of for a spend. And then I realized it's, it's actually what I do best. And it's what I love the most, which is, you know, being a B2B sports agent, going out and finding champions and shining a spotlight on. And that's a, a key word. An operative word there is finding. We do not create champions. They create themselves. We're simply there to put a spotlight on what they're doing, not themselves all the time. Some of them don't want a spotlight on themselves. But they do want to feel valued. So putting a spotlight on their work so that internally they get more adoption and more visibility into how they're succeeding. And then externally, if they leave on the open market, they're more valuable on the open market. Say B2B sports agent, because just like players on a team, our job is to get them better commercials, get them more sponsorships, get them higher bids on their contracts, right? That is our job. Then we ride their coattails along on their success. So we put them at the center of all of our stories. I love that. And speaking of what you're passionate about, tell me a little bit also about Cradvocate. What does Cradvocate do for anyone who isn't familiar? And and where does that kind of fit into this larger conversation of, you know, identifying these customer champions, making them successful? Yeah, absolutely. You know, Crowdvocate was the answer to me in my career in a lot of times. So I brought Crowdvocate into three previous companies and you've heard it before. Right? When you fall in love with a vendor and a tool and, and you get it, like often end up working for them. And so that's what happened. And what Crowdvocate is, is the answer to scaling any of your customer marketing and advocacy programs. So what we all run into, and this is, if you're out there and you're listening to this and you feel like you're on an island all by yourself and you have your own unique struggles, I promise you, you do not. Many, many companies prioritize customer marketing and advocacy, but it's all lip service. And what I mean by that is they say how critically important it is to your company. They say how they're going to focus it on more. They tell you, you know, this is how much net new revenue has to come from our existing account bases. But then when you look at all of the priorities, where do you fall? Do you have the budget that the rest of marketing has? Do you have the headcount? Do you have the slide share, the leadership table? But yet you're required to produce almost as much as the rest of these giant teams are. And you're a team of one to five, maybe five if you're lucky, right? Most times. Now you have some bigger companies out there that have much larger teams. But generally what I'm seeing is one to five in the industry, in the SaaS software space. And so when you're trying to make way, it's hard to prioritize what to do. And it's hard to not just get new reviews and new case studies and new video testimonies and new analyst calls and new press pieces and new quotes, right? And new customer references to hop on calls and new cabs. You're not trying to get this lit, like this giant and ever expanding list of advocates to share with you. You've got to get them engaged, right? We, We always think about the output and we measure how many case studies you get, which is a ridiculous measurement. It's how many net new advocates are you getting and how many of those advocates are repeating their engagement with you. So what are the programs that you can create to scale this? So one of the things we all deal with is reactive customer advocacy, which is I need a case study on X result, right? On X industry with X title and X, you know, revenue and X tech stack. And you go drop the bucket in and you manually pull it out one at a time. It's reactive. 
And when you reactively ask customers to do things, the fatigue, the effort that is experienced on their end, perceived effort is high, right? They're doing this thing for you. But if you can flip the role and the table around and say, can we get customers to proactively want to sign up for things ahead of time to hand raise and say, I want to be a part of this because you create an orchestrated community around your advocacy. Now what you have is a proactive approach where when you need these things, you've got 50 hands already raised. You're not going hunting and gathering for them. So Crowdvocate automates your advocacy, but then also your customer marketing. So how do you then account-based marketing back to your best customers to make sure that they're expanding and growing with your company. They're buying more from you. They're continuing it. And so really what it does is it automates and scales the relationship building in a way that allows you to gamify and create these communities of advocates that are proactively signing up and then tracking what they do as well as gifting. So it scales because you're going to reach an end output of, I can only handle so many accounts at a time before I deprioritize certain things because there's not enough of me to go around, right? And so then you say, well, I need more headcount and you can only add so much headcount. So this is a, it's a platform that helps you scale just like Marketo or HubSpot or Pardo, right? Any of the marketing platforms help your demand gen team go out. This is a way to scale this. That's also customer centric. So blends community with marketing automation. I love that. And you mentioned, you know, moving past this reactive model, which I think is such a powerful point. You you hinted at a few things there, the gamification and, and such, but tell us more about that. Like, what are the best practices, the principles to get customers, to get your advocates engaged and to get those, as you put it, those hand raises? Yeah. So, so think about this. And, and I was just talking to someone on my team about like, if you wanted someone to know the one thing that's changing in advocacy where you're seeing growth and drive and how I've been successful in my career is a fundamental switch in one simple notion, which is getting out of transactional advocacy and into relationship building. What do I mean by that is I will always have at any company you start up with and you're trying to build a program out, you will always have low hanging fruit customers who kind of get what's naturally in it for them to share. And you can go and peck and hunt one off. But what ends up happening, and I know anyone who's listening to this has gone through it, is you get someone who says, we need more reviews or we need a case study on X. So you go to the CSMs and you say, hey, how can we get more of your customers? And the CSMs are already inundated, right? So they're blocking. And it's not because they don't want to help. It's because they're doing 50 other things. And the product team is reaching out to them. And the product marketing team and your event team and everybody's reaching out from different places. And here you are trying to get them to do more. And they're, they're like, I'm just trying to keep afloat. Right. And so the transactional end of it doesn't just affect your customers by asking them to do things for you without much benefit in it for them, but it affects you internally with the amount of effort it causes and stress it causes on internal teams. And that leads to what we call the advocacy black market. That's a whole other conversation. But when you're starting, how do you want to build this is from a relationship perspective. What would you do? What would you want someone to offer you if they're going to ask a lot from you? So how do you move from just the one or two or three different cohorts that you have advocates in to a 30% population of all of your customers are advocating on your behalf? How do you How do you make that jump? And it's a maturity model, right? So first you've got to give before you get, just like a relationship. 
I talked about this earlier, but like Tinder, when you go on Tinder, you swipe left, you swipe right. I'm not seeing a lot of marriages coming out of Tinder. It's not for that. It's a transactional one-off. They might come back to the app, but they're not coming back to that same person, right? Like it's a transactional one-off. And I know I'm generalizing. Then you have things like eHarmony or other program platforms that are really built in like developing the relationship out. The outcome is different. What you're trying to get out of it is long-term success. And so that's what you want with your advocates. You want to go on a walk on the beach, right? You want to learn about them and their zodiac signs. You want to go out to a couple dates. You want to make sure that this is mutually beneficial. And how do you do that? We're like, okay, that's great in theory, but what do you do? Well, you give first. How are you recommending them? Are you turning them into an internal champion? Are you helping them sell internally at their own company first? Right? Making them look like a hero first. Are you doing things that are spotlighting them, not your product? And I'll give an example between like what I call a champion spotlight and a case study. Case study, every company has them and they're not going to go away. But where are they? You're going to take your biggest and your best brands or the companies that have the best ROI. And you're going to say, here's all the challenges X company faced. And here's how our company came in and saved the day. Here's how we solved all those problems. You're talking about a brand and a brand. And everybody's got great metrics. Everybody's got the case study. Talk. That is not a differentiator in our market. Now, if you spotlight a customer, a person, a human being, right? And what they're doing, because guess what? They're the hero of the story. They bought your product. They stuck your neck out and got budget to it. And they're having to go get internal adoption and get their customers to use your product. They're the heroes of the story. You're a part of the story. You are not the story. And so a champion spotlight focuses on that, right? So are those, are you building in things into your advocacy program that highlights them, that builds their brand and makes them heroes? Now, once you started to establish that, look, the stickiness when you've promoted someone like that, and made them successful internally at their own jobs, they're going to be much more likely to understand what the value is on the next steps that you want from that. And think about the quality of the reviews and the case studies and the testimonials and the conference speaking sessions that you're going to get out of those customers that have that innate or, or not innate, but pre-built value in them that you've already established for them. And so we have to realize that there is a maturity model. There is a growth model. And you've got to account for that in time because, right, we always talk about uh, you've got to change the wing or the engine on the plane while it's still in flight. Well, that's great if there's somebody in your plane to fly around, right? If I have three customers inside of a giant plane that I'm trying to fill around, that's a waste of effort. So you've got to fill the plane first. And we always forget, how do you fill the plane? How do you get them in so that you can continue to grow? And then once you do get them in, they inspire each other. That's how community works, right? And so when you talk about that, I think the most fundamental thing when people are starting out is prioritize building, right? And you can put out some flames on the side, but prioritize building and know that not all things are of the same value. So, so you're going to have your company telling you, this is more important. We got to focus on more reviews. We got to focus on more case studies. Find out exactly what is more important. So you can go back to those teams. And how do you do that? Well, ask your customers, what was important when you were buying us? Was it reviews? Was it case studies? Go to your sales team and say, hey, if you had to say three things, the most important things for you, what would they be? Have them fill out a form saying what the three things are. Collect all that feedback. And then go back to that same sales team and say, now we want you to all open the 
publicly vote on this and prioritize it. Now you can say to the VP on the Salesforce team, why the Salesforce at like marketplace doesn't have thousands of reviews right now, because your priority isn't actually there. That's not actually what's helping your sales team sell. And your customers definitely said that isn't what it, but now it could be. So you have to be able to follow what those are. So while you're building, you do focus on those top priority items. That makes a ton of sense. So many things that we could double click into there. Real quick, you mentioned the advocacy black market. I'm actually not familiar with that term, but I want to hear more like just in like a short summary, like what do you mean by the advocacy black market and what should people like understand about that concept? The shortest of short is people are just reaching out to customers ad hoc when they need things without visibility or or even checking in with the account managers, the customer success managers, the AEs, whoever the account owners are, they're just reaching out. And you know, you know, that's what the black market is, right? Just a free for all wild west of touching your customers, which we all know too much contact turns them off and they start to become reclusive and they start to go dark and not answer emails and not pick up phone calls. And that hurts the business, right? That makes the CSM's job harder. And so this is a vicious cycle that we fall into. So real quick, and I can, I can summarize because I know I am long-winded. What happens is this. Customer success is inundated. They have so many things. They have too many accounts always, right? They have too many requests coming in. They're trying to play not only the business coach, but the marketing manager and the therapist and the punching bag. They're playing all of that for the customer. And then you have sales saying, hey, I need a reference call. I need this. I need that. And CSMs want to help, but they're so inundated, they don't get back to it in enough time. The sales has got to move. Events, they've got deadlines coming up. So you have all these people with different priorities and CSMs are inundated. So they're not getting back to people as fast as they need. And so what do people do? They say, I don't have time for this. And they reach directly out. I sold this account. I know this account. They're a great customer. I'm just going to reach out to them. And they reach out. But then you have someone else who reaches out to them, not knowing that you reached out to them. And so you have double tapping of the same ask. And you have all of this, which recludes. Then as customers, what happens next is as customers become more reclusive or turned off, CSMs have a harder time getting in touch with them. CSMs then become more protective of their accounts and don't want to let other people in and get more possessive instead of being collaborative. And it's not because they're bad people. It's because they're trying to survive at their job and what they're measured on, right? So then that gets harder. And then you have more of the black and it seriously just continues to go down the cycle. Right. And you cause division, internal, like complications that are not needed. And so where advocacy plays a part is how do you streamline all that, grow the visibility, create singular points of contact and SLAs around how we do and don't touch our customers. And how do we measure the benefit of it? That is a huge thing with tools that they allow you to do is instead of trying to pull metrics from Google Sheets over here and some reports in Salesforce over there and trying to take a snapshot in history of it, it's live. It's counting all of the advocacy efforts and tying it back to the revenue and saying, these are the pieces of content that people are actually using, customer content. This is how valuable it is in closing deals, right? So you can prove the worth of your own team to expand it, right? So anyways, that's the black market. That's the advocacy black. Yeah, no, that's, that's a, such a good description. And, you know, it definitely can, as you said, it just becomes like a, it can be a very vicious spiral. And I, I love that that uh, phrase to kind of sum it up very succinctly. Circling back to the you know maturity model and prioritization, 
I'm curious, like, how do you kind of prioritize different pieces of customer content, right? That you, you may want to create, like, obviously there's a lot of caveats here, but let's just assume like a pretty common situation marketers are in is there, they need to create more customer content, you know, be it written case studies or video testimonials. But as you said, they don't want to just do it ad hoc, right? There needs to be a strategy behind it, behind the prioritization of this customer content. How do you think about that on the strategic level? Like functionally, how do you think about, you know, the strategy and the prioritization of customer content that has the goal of helping close deals faster and, you know, arming the sales team? Yeah. And, and obviously an answer to that is it depends on what your company's objectives are, but that answer doesn't do anybody any good who's listening, right? So what does help is this. Think about your big rocks. What are the big two or three things that you can focus on while building? Because look, you do, no matter how much it sucks, you do have to change the wing while in flight. And you're going to use duct tape and glue and, and gum and some popsicle sticks. And you got to do that. But how do you prioritize that? So one, what I do, I always do a buyer journey interview. So I go to our, our newest customers that are coming in because it's fresh. And ask them, what was important to you when you were buying our product? Did you read the analyst reports? Did you go to Gardner Appearance Sites? Like I get on and I ask the same question. So I actually create a form, like a Google form that has a series of questions on it. And then when I interview customers, I interview them live to talk to them about it. So they understand the context of what I'm asking. And I fill it out so that I get a repeatable form fill that I can then analyze the data from. And see, these are the reoccurring themes that we have that are most important. And then, like I said, I go to my sales team, right? And I go to my account managers, if that's who's, re- who's doing the upsells. It just depends on your company. Some companies, the AEs upsell. Some companies, the CSMs upsell. Some companies, it's an account manager that upsells. So whoever is doing that, right, the renewal, upsell, and expansion motions, you go to them and you say, hey, when you're talking to customers or prospects, what are your biggest blockers? And if you had a magic wand and could say, these are the three things that would help me do my job better from a customer marketing perspective, like these are the pieces of customer generated content. These are what they are. And then you take that and you you prioritize those, but you make sure that everybody has visibility into that prioritization. So after people vote on what's the most important, you share that voting list back. It is crucial to the whole point because then they understand why you're not doing that one random case study that they want on a medical company that uses Chorus as their community, has Salesforce as their CRM, but then uses Marketo. And then they have a VP of product that's willing to talk about it. That's also technical, but also somewhat social, right? You need that case study. You're like, oh yeah, well here on the voting list, you can see that is dead last. So you can see why we're not getting to it. And you don't have to have those tough conversations that are repeated of like, I've been asking for this forever. I don't understand why I don't have it yet. Because they can see there's only so much that you can do. Now, what's great is once you start to scale it and build, especially if you're able to get, you know, some software to help you, is you can now have multiple priorities that you're tackling at one time. You create strategies up front and then you go out. But let's talk about not just a strategy. Let's talk about some tactical play here, which is video. To me, one of the things that has helped me scale myself before having a tool is video. Why? 
Because if I record an excellent video with a customer, and you break that down into, I know you like to talk about atomic content, into atomic content or micro content, shorter form content, I can take out of that the transcript and I can have a blog for SEO generation. I can take from that high quality video and break it into multiple sections where they're just answering point specific questions for social. I can have it for feedback on that same video. And every video that I ever do, I always ask a couple things at the end of the video. One, where can we improve? How do we do better? Because then I have a video from our customer's mouth that's product feedback that I can share with the product team. Where are we dropping the ball with you strategically? And then two, I ask shout outs. Who from your team and who from your success team, from our team? Because you want to build those relationships and help inspire. Because now I can go internally and be like, hey, Susie, blah, 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 is doing a phenomenal job with customer X. Look at the feedback she got. And all I had to do is clip out that little section of the feedback. And now you've got Susie as an internal advocate for you forever, right? And you're, you're helping like rise the tide for everyone. Everybody wins in this way. Videos help. But also you talk about reviews. Hey, there, there was this excellent section. You can take out just the transcript and you go back to that customer and say, hey, I copied this out of the transcript. This is what you said on our interview. I'd love it if you could go share that on G2 for me. Can you go put that on Gardner Period Insights? Because part of the problem where you have resistance, people don't want to think. They don't have time, right? We're asking people to do things when they have actual jobs to do. And so how do you reduce the effort? So video can be used in so many ways. You can take out the video like you're doing here, turn it into a podcast. You have so many different streams of content, but I cannot go backwards. I cannot turn a review magically into video. I cannot turn a quote into video. I cannot turn a podcast into video. But at video, that master format, you can bring everything down from. I love it. Yeah, it's such a good point. And it really is is the master medium. And also just this idea, that is the first time that I've heard about copying something from, from the transcript of a video and then offering it as, as review content. Cause, and I think that's genius because it's still the voice of the customer, right? It's fairly default practice that marketers will write a review for the customer and say, hey, like I wrote this review and that's obviously, you know, well-meaning and it, it does save them time, but you lose quite a bit there for obvious reasons, right? You're not getting the, the authentic voice of the customer. So like the idea of, you know, you capture the video, you actually take their exact transcript and you can take bits and pieces and make a nice length of a review and then say, hey, this is what you actually said. I'd love for you now copy this out from the transcript. You know, if you have two minutes, I'd love for you to just post this on G2. It's such a win-win and just, uh, yeah, it's great. I love that. They just wanted to underscore that for people in case that went over anyone's head. You know, what's, what's another cool thing that I've seen is on someone's website, and I've never done this myself, but it's something I've seen. And it obviously came from a recording, right? Which was, you know, on your website, you'll have a quote from one of your big brands right there promoting one of the products and it'll be a really short succinct. But when your mouse would hover over the quote, the audio clip of it would play. So you actually heard the voice, the tone, the inflection that came out of it. And then when it ended to watch the full video and you would click it and it went to the video case study of that person. It was brilliant. It was like such a journey led it was such a, what they call journey orchestration, right? Where you're taking someone down this journey and this path and 
you want to get creative, right? We have only have so much bandwidth. And video to me is, is one of those primary mediums, components that you can do so much with. And even when we think about case studies, so here's another example. When we were doing case studies originally, you know, the product marketer would get on and they would record just so they could get the transcript of a case study, right? They record interviewing the customer, the same questions. What was your ROI? What was the benefit? What were the challenges? How did you find us? Why now? Right? All those same kind of questions. And they're writing this large three to four page case study and, and with some screenshots of their uses, right? And metrics and big call out numbers. Anytime you have a number, you want to call it out. Great, but it's so old for me. Case studies are dying and they're not engaging. So I said, look, we've got video content that we're recording. So one, let's do it. Let's treat this like a movie. One, I'm going to do a little mini interview at the beginning of your case study interview. And we're going to call that the teaser, just like a trailer for a movie. High level, right? We're going to say, hey, and who do you want to shout out? Because people love to support other people, right? It's why we watch shows like American Idol. It's why we watch those shows. You want to root for the winners. Right. So here's my team that I'm celebrating. Here's my success managers. We're all in this together. And you do this short little two minute, three minute video that talks about what the case study is going to talk about. And then in the case study that you've written out some of it, have little micro cutouts from that video interview that are in there. Because as much as we want to read, stories are great. We go to the movies for a reason. We want to see and connect with the human being on the other side. We want to see where their eyes are looking at, right? Are they making this up? Are they reading from a script? Is this coming from their soul, right? Are they really talking about this truthfully? And you can't get that by reading text. It's just not possible. You can get it by watching people. So use that video powerfully. Anyways, that's just another example of how you can do it in case studies. I love that. It's like, yeah, you can't get tone through text and you don't get that genuine emotion. You can get a good chunk of it from audio, but like it's just all the way full on. You know, you can see people's eyes light up on, on video and you you can't fake that. So, so true. You mentioned the voting on what is most important for these stories and who is voting? Is it who do you bring into that vote? Is it everyone on the revenue team, essentially? Is it, you know, tell me more about that. That's where I focus is the revenue team. If you're talking about creating content for revenue generation, some of us like lifecycle marketers are creating content for adoption and engagement. So it's not for revenue generation. So that's about how do we get, how do we help our CSMs and our onboarding teams get customers to first time to value, right? So they need slide decks and they need customer testimonials that talk about what it's like to adopt this and how do you launch it and what are best practices. We always forget about that type of content, right? So there, I would go to them for the prioritization. But if my focus is on revenue and demand generation, then I'm going to talk to the demand teams that are actually going out there because their VPs will give you a litany of reasons of why what's important is and isn't. And I will guarantee that they will try and find ways to prove to you the metrics, but it's subjective. It's what they think, right? So the only tool that you have to push back is if you actually measure it and have numbers say, hey, I get this is what you think, totally makes sense, like from a subjective and from a high-level perspective, but here's in the run, and that's why I'm going to focus here, is this is what we've got going. Does that make sense to you? Are you okay with that? Because that's what your team is saying. If they say, no, I'm out of alignment with their team, what does that say about them, right? And what kind of position? So they're not going to do that. And they just want you to help make their jobs better, so they want to know that you're working on something that is going to make their team succeed. At the end of the day, that's it. Right. Otherwise, they're going to point fingers. 
right? Because their sales team isn't hitting their marks. They're going to say, oh, we don't have enough reviews. It's because of the case studies. Come on. So let's get into that point specific. enterprise. But remember, that is not the full-term strategy. That is your band-aid in the interim to building out a program that rewards your customers first, builds them up, and then has them sharing and sharing and sharing. Totally. And in terms of, you mentioned demand generation there as well, which brings up another kind of side point around the prevalence that we're seeing with using customer content throughout the whole buyer journey, I think, ideally, right? You know, certainly using it earlier, I think we, the status quo in some respects has been historically, oh, like you pull out your customer testimonials and your customer case studies mid to late funnel. Can you share your thoughts on that? And like, if you would agree that you got to go full funnel with customer voice now and inject it throughout the entire buyer journey, like maybe just riff on that and share your perspective on that. Yeah, I mean, and this is something everybody knows. We live in a noisy world, right? Steve Jobs said it when he made the Think Different commercial. Okay, this is not new. The difference is we have fatigued so much more now because everything, partly because of Steve Jobs himself, every surface we have that we look at is advertising to us. It's no longer just our TVs and commercials and radios, movies and the product placement. Now it's my computers, my laptops, my phone is constantly, I'm getting text messages. My watch is advertising at me because I'm getting text messages of different advertisements on my watch, right? So what do you do? You tune out and everybody's got the great stat. Everybody's got the great case study. Everybody, What sticks out through all that is your customer's voice. So everybody wants more of it. Your product teams want more product feedback. And then not only that, when they're going to market, they want your your early beta testers to share what it was like to use this product in the testing phase and why it's so amazing and why they're making the change. So everybody wants more voice from top to bottom. Even your executives want more customer voice on their executive cabs, right? And their steering committees. Everybody wants more. And remember, at the end of the day, that customer that you want more from, they have a job to do. So what we first, you got to clarify what advocacy is. Anything that's not their job is advocacy on your behalf whether it's internal advocacy from feedback loops, voice of the customer programs and MPS scores and CSAT surveys. And I said MPS scores. That's something that drives me nuts. Net promoter score. So I'm saying net promoter score, score. Um, customer effort scores, all of that, all the way to the content, the user-generated content, but also into your community, user groups that they're partaking in and sharing their time and their voice. So all of those are advocating on your behalf. And so we have to really respect their time and we have to respect it in a way that we don't fatigue them and turn them off, that they want to do more with us. And that doesn't happen by asking them to do more. It's got to be this organic growth. So when you talk about full journey and, and cycle, I think the biggest missing element in SaaS companies right now, number one, when they're trying to grow out their customer marketing teams, and we all know, Third fastest on LinkedIn jobs report is a customer marketer. Third fastest growing job. But what happens, and this happened at a company I was just at, was I came in and they said, look, we've got all these customers and they're growing. We need to sell them more. We need to upsell them to, to a different product line. We need to get them more. And I said, okay, well, how, how do we know who are we selling to? Like, what's our, like, what, what have you historically done? Well, we have a health score. We know like a customer over this health score will buy more. If they're under this specific health score, it's like a, it's like a cliff. They do not buy more from us. 
And I'm like, okay, well, how many of our customers are, are below that group? 68% of our customers are below that line. 68%. And you're flooding everybody with marketing messaging, trying to sell everybody. Well, it's no wonder your programs are failing, right? The, the analogy there is like I just said it the other day. Imagine you go buy a really expensive Vitamix blender, right? An emulsifier. It's $800 and you buy it. And it goes directly in your cabinet and you never use it again. And Vitamix is now coming to you and they're saying, hey, we've got this new ergonomic grip and handle for that Vitamix so you don't get carpal tunnel and using it. you got to buy this. And they're messing. What is the chance I'm going to go buy that grip when I'm not even using the blender, right? And so what we miss, what we fundamentally miss is that first time to value that life cycle marketing. Think about how many teams you have product marketing, right? You have brand and comms and demand generation, right? You have all these teams that are focused on getting the customer and helping sales with all of their assets they need, all of the, the kill sheets and the decks and the, right? And the webinars. And then they become a customer. And what, what happens to your marketing then? You turn it off. And CSM's got to go fight and fend. They're taking decks that were built for sales and they're reorganizing. They're trying to do it while trying to manage all these accounts and make decks that work for them. And if they're lucky, if they're lucky, they've got a uh, CS ops, right? Customer success operation who will help kind of streamline some of that. But really their, their job is to like connect the dots for them. So they're not marketers necessarily, but they're trying to create marketing material. And so you have this just jointed journey for your customer. So we need to create this marketing function of lifecycle marketing that focuses on first time to value and continued engagement because that makes every other function. And when you do that right, people aren't buying more. You're not going to sell more to them. They're naturally adopting more of your product because you're getting so much value out of the initial product that they're using. So it becomes a part of their natural growth and evolution with you instead of like, Oh, now they've hit this trigger point and this many, let's go sell them more. That is effort filled. It's not that you can't do it. Your companies have been doing it forever, but you're wasting time and effort and you're not building for the long term. And you have churn problems because of that. And you have issues that you're trying to solve by putting band-aids on at one end instead of understanding where the cut is starting from in the beginning. Yeah, that, that's such a good point. And you mentioned also video in the power of video earlier. And also that great advocacy is about that two-way exchange of, of value and actually first you have to give just like any relationship for the sort of video testimonial, video case study, capturing customer stories on video. What are some ways that you've thought about how you can sort of give back to customers for participating in that? Is it, you know, you kind of, their personal PR in the industry, you're making them look like a rock star. Yeah. Like, tell me a little bit more about that. Like, what's a good two-way exchange of value when you're getting your, your customer sort of like doing a favor for you too, by like going on video and sharing their story? There's basically what, you know, you talk about, which is five main benefits for customers for engaging with you. And it starts with their personal brand development. That's number one. And remember, a lot of people won't tell you that's what's most important to them, but it is, right? Because it's too vain and egotistical to say, I want to build my own personal brand and I want to be more valuable on the market. And they're not going to say that, but it is critically important to all of us that our value is perceived. Next is networking, connecting them with others that are like them so that they're growing their professional network because it's a wild world and we never know when our job needs to change. And we don't know if like, 
we're going to have to find a new job. And so you need those relationships. Then you have FOMO, their fear of missing out. You have education and professional growth and you have rewards and fun. So are you thanking them every time? And that is a critical thing also that people miss. Every time you ask your customer to do something for you, you thank them. People are like, that's too much. We don't need to. They're doing this out of their own generosity. Great. Out of your own generosity, you're going to thank them for their time. And at least, at the very least, is sending them something that they can deny. They can say, I don't need it. But you're putting the effort out because you want to create that human first component. And even if like, you know, people are like, well, you know, well, a lot of our customers aren't allowed to accept gifts. Yeah, but they're allowed to donate. So you can provide them, hey, take this gift. Tell us where you want us to donate this gift. At least allow that. There's so many ways. You got to thank them. But when you talk about creating and giving back, so I keep going back to that internal champion. How do you turn them into a hero? So here's an example of something that happened today, direct use case. We had a customer who is in the onboarding phase and they're about to go live. And this is, this is some piece of content I haven't made yet. And so they're about to go live and they're nervous. They don't know what are the best things to focus on when they go live with it. And then how do they build for the future? Like they're staffing. Do they need more people to run this all the time? Do how much time do they need to dedicate to it? And we can tell them till we're blue in the face. But they were like, we want to talk to another customer that's like us, that's gone through it, that can tell us, you know, what to expect, what they wish they could have done different, et cetera. I said, absolutely. Let's get you two on a call. So I got the two customers on a call and I recorded and I said, hey, if this recording goes well, I'd love to use this for future customers so we can scale. One, I don't have to go back to you and ask again if you'll get on a call with another customer, but two... So others can learn from you. Now, what am I doing there? I'm solving two problems. One is I'm creating repeatable content with video where people can learn. So now I'm going to put it into my onboarding practice. Hey, before you go live, watch this video between this company and this company talking about what it's like. Here's the tips and tricks from customer to customer, peer to peer, not us telling you what to do, but two, I just made those two people champions of their, of our community, right? They're thought leaders now in our own community. From their own learning and, and development to thought leaders. That's how you turn people into champions. They're asking the right questions. They're thinking about it. That's a good thing. Asking hard questions is something leaders look for. So you're teaching other people how to think critically and how to ask those deeper questions. Because some people are like, oh, I just got a single track mind. I just got to launch. And then you're like, well, I launched and I'm not getting any engagement. I don't understand why. So that's how you help. And then the other thing is when you use content, remember we talked about this, something we skipped earlier, but when you use content, you want to get the most bang for your buck. There's a, a practice that I was taught by my boss, Tracy, at my last company or two companies ago. We called it no digital dead end, which means when someone comes into the journey, you don't leave them at a dead end. For instance, someone signs up to listen to this podcast, right? What do they do? They go to a landing page and then they put in their name, they hit submit and you go, thank you. We just sent you a link to the recording. Or if it's for an event, thank you. We just sent you a calendar invite, whatever that is. And then they're like, okay, well, I'm done. Like that, that there's a dead end. I have nowhere to go. Well, now instead, think about how you can use that same content to go, oh, by the way, Ari also did this video podcast with us or this video case study. Why don't you watch it in, in the meantime until the event happens? And then when they go there and, oh, did you know? And you can take them so that they continuously have the ability to learn. And you're getting more bang for your buck with your content. Because that's 
what is worse than the content graveyard where you use something once and then it goes and sits in a corner and nobody knows it exists anymore? I love that. Such a powerful phrase. And I want to ask you one more question before we, we wrap up here, Ari. And it's around like actually making the ask of customers, right? And like you want to, you know, add value, you want to get them in the program and, and, Say where someone's in the band-aid stage in the beginning, that they don't have the level of maturity. Do you have any sort of like suggestions around how to f- kind of frame that ask to participate in advocacy activity, like a like a video testimonial or a case study and any sort of language uh, even or like phrases? Some people can kind of procrastinate on that because they're just it doesn't the ask doesn't feel right. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's hard and you don't want to be salesy and you need to build relations and you don't want to think you're just trying to use them, right? So there's a couple of things. One is where do you find them at the beginning stage? And you have MPS scores. You can always go there for your promoters and CSAT survey. So like we think MPS scores because it's promoters in the title, but if you just solved a really big problem for your customer, like your product wasn't working for them the way it was supposed to be, but you fixed it and you solved it, that's a magic moment. That's a great time to talk about sharing, hey, Will you share a little bit? Like, I, I know you had this problem. Share a little bit about that journey. Like, what was it like? And I know we saw it. Like, how did that solve them? What is the results? Because they're going to be ecstatic that you've solved it and you, you fixed this problem for them. And other parts are key milestones in the journey, right? So, like, after they're done onboarding, hey, would you share with us what it was like to go through onboarding? Give us a score, one through five. You're four and five. Guess what? Follow up with them and be like, hey, would you be willing to leave a review or talk to me about that on camera? Because it's, it's really important that we, and how you frame it is how you're supporting your team and their community. It's always about their team and the community is not about sales. So, Hey, one, I'd love to, because our onboarding team does not get enough love. And I want to make a video that shows how awesome they are. All right. So I would love it if you could help me with that. Two is others that are going through this need to know what to expect in onboarding. What is it like? What are the challenges? What could they do different? And I'd love to get that. So you could help teach others. You put them in that leadership position. So you have onboarding. You have when they go live with their product, right? You have their first time to value when you have some measurable results. Those are all key times to ask. And the ask itself is always framed as they're the leader helping others. Okay. And that is not a lie. Because if you're doing your job right and you're, you're listening to what I'm saying, you're not a salesperson. You're not a marketing person. You're an agent who's an agent of change to help them be better. And so if you are truly believe that, then what you're asking is true. I am always authentic with my ask, and, and that always works when you are authentic. Now, some people can't do it. Like their job, their company doesn't allow it. So guess what? You learn ways around it. You still film it with them. You say, no problem. We're going to take your video off. Well, I'm going to film it with you, but I'm going to take your video off, and I'm going to remove your name, and I'm going to remove your title. But I have this anonymous piece of content that's still powerful from a top 10 te- ed tech company a VP from a top 10 ed tech company and it's completely anonymous, but it still serves a point still helps. And you're still putting them in a position of that. And the ask is always about, please help me let others learn from your successful journey or your trials and tribulations. It's not always about the person who had the best experience because you're coaching. It's sometimes about, Hey, how do others learn from what you could have done differently? Here's something that you built out that you wish you would have done that later. Spent too much time focusing on this or focusing on that. That's all critical. That's such a powerful point. And, you know, I think that's the perfect place to end it. 
Ari, this has been absolutely fantastic. Where can folks who are listening learn more about Crowdforkid, learn more about yourself and connect uh, and if they have any questions? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, by the time this comes out, Crowdforkid might be called something completely differently. In fact, it will be. And so, you know, if you go to my LinkedIn, I will still be called Ari Hoffman. And my LinkedIn is, uh, I think it's Ari J. Hoffman on LinkedIn. So if you look up Ari Hoffman at Crowd the Kit, it'll probably come up. But my actual link is Ari J. Hoffman. So the Crowd the Kit, you know, LinkedIn.com forward slash IN forward slash Ari J. Hoffman. That's where you can find me. Reach out. I love to connect with people and we can always go from there. And I'm an open book. So if anyone has any questions on how they handled things, cabs or reviews or case studies or any of that, I, I love to talk about it. It's like, you know, I'm one of those students who can't get enough. Fantastic. Well, this was an absolute pleasure, Ari. We'll have to have you back on sometime. Sam, loved being here. Loved what you're doing. What your company does is like so critical in the world right now. Everybody needs more high-end video, needs more high-end testimonials. And you're doing it. You're really doing it. So I'm happy to be here and help. Appreciate that. Alrighty, folks, that was a fantastic episode with Ari Hoffman and just a couple of my favorite takeaways. I'm not going to do a lengthy recap because we so much good stuff in the interview itself, but moving past reactive, getting customers to hand raise, you know, we talked about getting out of transactional advocacy and into, you know, relationship building, but also that there's a maturity model. And sometimes in the beginning, you might need to do band-aids, but just know that that's what you're doing, right? We talked about the advocacy black market and the issues there, people reaching out without visibility, just a free-for-all black market. And we talked about prioritization of customer content, so many tactical takeaways there. Do a buyer journey interview, interview the, the revenue team, and then actually, and this is such a key, key thing is, you know, Ari talked about letting your revenue team vote on what's actually most important in terms of what customer stories and what customer content you need. That is transformational if you're not doing that. Uh, we talked a lot about the power of video, how video is is the master medium, and you can pull a lot out from video, but you can't go in the reverse, right? You can turn a video transcript into a written review, but it doesn't work in reverse. We talked about journey orchestration, and then we finished up with like some really, really good tactical tips and also kind of the, the right principle and the right mindset around how to make the ask. Also, when, how do you identify them, the milestones, but also the principle that you, that you want to be coming from this place where they are a leader helping others and like being authentic with your ask, as Ari put it. Please help me help others learn from your journey. And it's just such a powerful mindset. It's the best mindset to be in. And it's, it is a truly a transformational mindset to really get into when you're starting and having these conversations with customers. As always, I'm Sam Shepler, your host, and we'll see you in the next episode.